Thank you, Debbie, for that. I'm glad that you're here. Good to be home. Before I begin, I just want to make a comment or two. I understand there were some smart remarks made last week about my eating. Well, I just want you to know he was right. I mean, the biggest decision I had last week when I got up is am I going to eat shrimp first or oysters, you know? Amen. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Good to be home. Missed my church last week. I want you to take your Bible. And I want you to turn with me to uh, Joshua chapter 7, okay? Joshua chapter 7, and I'm uh, going to talk to you on a tough subject. I, I want to talk to you on the subject, what can we learn from sin? Hmm? What can we learn from sin? And I know some of you are thinking, I knew I should have skipped church today, right? Well, it is a tough subject, but I'm glad you're here because, you see, even when sin occurs, and it does, okay, even when sin occurs, we can learn some things. There are some principles that you and I can, can get from that experience. Uh, let me, at the end of the message, I'm going to share my last point with you, but let me just encourage you to, to grab hold of the last point. You may not get a lot, I understand, but I want you to get the last point. Because it's important when you talk about the sin of AI and what all took place and as bad as it was and as, as tough as it was, it's important for us to understand that for a Christian, judgment is not the last word. Grace is, okay? Now, we've got to deal with some tough stuff. I understand that. But grab the last point, that for a believer in Jesus Christ, Judgment is not the last word. Grace is. Can someone say amen? You better say amen because grace is the final word. Okay, now, hey, guys, would you turn me up just a tad? My throat's a little bit scratchy, and I, um, I, I just, or maybe it's a monitor. There you go. That's better for me. Is that better for you guys? Or probably doesn't make a difference to you, but it's, it's better for me, okay? When... Uh, before I skipped out on you for a week, I, I, we began to look at Joshua 7. And I pointed out that leading up to the defeat, we saw a weakness develop in the nation. Okay, uh, uh, A sense of, of passivity. We saw a lack of prayer, appalling lack of prayer. And Joshua was a man of prayer. We saw, to me, uh, an appalling abundance of pride. They forgot that this was all about God and God's battles, you know, and a passivity of leadership began to set in. And exactly how Achan's sin fits into that, I'm not sure, okay? But let me tell you what we do know. We know that in the midst of a great victory and in the midst of very clear direction from God, the seeds of iniquity sprouted. Rebellion grew. Sin blossomed, disobedience took root, and people died. Gang, sin is a serious thing for God. And sin is a very serious thing for the people of God. Now, I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago several things. First of all, God wasn't worried about how this defeated AI would look. God's, God's not worried about his reputation, okay? God cares about the righteousness of his people. God cares about the covenant 
that he has established with his people. And when the covenant gets broken, he never breaks the covenant, but when the covenant gets broken on our end, then God responds to that because, first of all, he's holy and righteous. But secondly, he's a God of love, and he's not going to let his people get away with that stuff. As a parent, you didn't. I hope you didn't. Well, God, as a loving parent, is not going to let that as well, okay? I also mentioned to you something that that I want to reiterate. Israel, without God, became very human and very vulnerable. And any nation without God is vulnerable. God in his holiness, sometimes his judgment is that, his remedial judgment anyway, is that God just begins to pull back. And when God pulls back and leaves a people to themselves, oh, church, it can be a most hideous thing. And what we see in this chapter that we're going to read together is that I think God just began to pull back and said, hey, you disobeyed, you didn't follow my directions. Here's what happens, okay? Now, in in Joshua chapter, it's a long chapter, but I think we need to read it, okay? Okay. And it may be hard for some of you to stand for all of that, and I understand that. If you can and want to, I invite you to stand, and we'll read the chapter. If you can't, then go ahead and be seated, but keep your, keep your Bible open, okay? Joshua chapter 7, and let's read the chapter together, okay? But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmine, The son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger, notice the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, said to them, go up, spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up. Do not make all the people toil up here, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Sheberim, struck them down on the descent, so the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They became as the people of Jericho were just a few days before. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. They will surround us. And now notice he's trying to protect God's name and cut off our name from the earth. So what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. 
And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They have even taken some of the things under the ban. They have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel, and we might even take a little liberty there, therefore, the people of Indian Springs, if you allow me to, a little liberty, cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow, for this the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning then you shall come near with your tribes, and shall be the tribe which the Lord takes by lot, shall come near by their families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And it shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs, <coughs> excuse me, belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua arose early in the morning, brought Israel near by tribes. The tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near and took the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to God, the God of Israel. Give praise to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. <coughs> Excuse me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I noticed, coveted them, took them, and behold, they are concealed, which means I hid them in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. Then they took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua to all the sons of Israel, they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel took him, uh, with him, took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. They brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua, Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Father, tough stuff, but it's real stuff. God, it's important that we learn from this text how much you hate sin. And how much damage sin can do within a family, family of God, family, personal family. 
It's a reminder that, God, you saved us by grace. You've called us to live by grace. You've called us to do our best to be holy and righteous, knowing full well the propensity that we have for sin. Now, God, I pray you'll help me, God, uh, just kind of share what I've studied. It's good to be home, and, and God, lead me today in this service, the next service, to uh, just be faithful to your word. Holy Spirit, take it as you will, to whom you will it, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Let me tell you what I want to do. I, um, a couple things. I want to begin by giving to you a statement, okay? As I thought about the text, as I kind of got alone and began to think about the, the, the awfulness of this, uh, I just wrote out something. And it's, it's a statement that I want to give. I, I tell you what I'd like to do. Uh, I would like to give it to every church in America today. I believe the statement I'm going to give and read to you is a statement that we as a church needs, okay? And then I'm going to pick out five statements, five perhaps principles from the text that, uh, that will kind of walk us through the passage, okay? Now, here's our statement. You can see it up there. As we look at our culture, if we see our message is progressively discarded, that means if our message is repeatedly trashed, okay, by the cultural values and the changing mores of our society, and if we see that the church becomes progressively ineffective, then we should ask ourselves if God has withdrawn his presence from among us. We should ask ourselves, is this his righteous judgment? on our nation. You see, gang, God's presence is a blessing. God's absence is a curse. And we as a nation, we especially as the people of God, we as the church of Jesus Christ ought to ask, is God with us and why? Or has God left us? Or is leaving us? And why? Now, you and I can't do anything about Hollywood. Frankly, we can't do a whole lot about Washington, D.C. Now, we can vote some things right. By the way, if Christians had voted in the last election and voted biblical convictions, not personal feelings or family traditions, Christians would be in the majority functioning. Abortion would be no longer. Do you know that? But you see, the problem is God's people don't understand how important it is that a nation not only seek after, but that a nation follow after God, even if no one else follows, even if no one else cares. God's people ought to care. I'm so proud of that lady, and I forget where uh, she wouldn't bake a cake for a gay marriage. She has gay friends. She loves them, cares deeply for them. But when it came for a marriage, she said, I just can't do that. And gang, she's going to lose everything. And, she, and they even offered the judge, I don't know if you read this, but the judge offered her a little way out, $2,100 fine or something like that. 
And she said, no, I can't do that. See? God's people who are called by his name must stand. And if our message gets increasingly trashed, and if our power becomes increasingly more ineffective, again, we need to ask some questions. We need to ask questions of ourselves. God, where am I in this mix? How is my life shaking out with your biblical principles? What about my church, the church where I go and faithfully give to and serve and, and, and worship? Is my pastor, is he being firm on the principles of the Word of God? What about my nation? That's the statement. Now I want to give you five statements, principles, that we see from the text. Keep your Bible open. I'll, I'll address some of the verses. It's a long chapter, of course. But I'll address some of the things, okay? Number one, the first statement is this. A powerful victory can birth powerful sin. Now, I I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I I think it's worth repeating. Victory can be dangerous. You know that? Victory can be dangerous. The Apostle Paul, in warning the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians... In writing about God's blessing on the special nation and how the people began to crave more and more and how they fell into idolatry and became adulterers, here's what he wrote. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Victory without humility brings pride. And pride births sin. And sin brings the judgment of God. And the judgment of God, dear people, brings great pain. You may be thinking, hey, I'm okay. Then I would say to you, watch out. I'm doing okay. You better watch out. The greatest Christian who ever lived was Paul. And Paul said, man, I don't understand this. I keep doing the things I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I should do. And I'm going nuts. He didn't say it like that, but that's my interpretation. Who's going to help me? And then he understands it's Jesus Christ and Christ alone, you see. A powerful victory can bring, can birth powerful sin. Be careful. Statement number two, and this is going to grab some of you, and some of you may initially disagree, uh, but... But follow with me. Don't miss this and understand my heart, okay? The sin of one is the sin of all. Now, that's amazing to grab hold of, but that's what the text tells us. Let me deal with it. Who sinned? Achan sinned. Who did God blame? The nation. Look at, look at verse 1, Okay? The sons of who? Israel acted unfaithfully. Look at uh, verse 11 and 12. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. There, verse 12, therefore the sons of Israel cannot. Gang, let me me give you a, a spiritual concept. Because what applied to the nation there applies to you and I, the church, today. And this is where I'm going to probably maybe say, you know, Tom, you're wrong there. Uh, 
Israel was not a nation. Israel was a family. And when you read about the nation, what you find is that they're a family. The church today is not a nation. Now, in a sense, we are, I understand. But the church today is a family. We're the forever family of God. When one sins, we all sin. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians said this, If one suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, all rejoice. So in God's economy, the whole is more important than the individual. The team is above the player. And I, what I want you to get from this is that I have responsibilities to you. And you have responsibilities to me. And we have responsibilities to each other in the eyes of God. Now, gang, listen. I feel the pressure of that responsibility. I hope you do as well. For you see, what happens to me might very well affect you. What happens to you might very well affect me. What we do affects us. That's God's economy. And we have to be diligent and accountable to what we do. I appreciate Russell Baker. He's not in this service. and that He'll be everywhere I go, every time I leave town. You know what he does? He either calls me or texts me. Now, he's into texting now. He ought to go back to phone calling. At least I can listen to his voice. He texted me this week. You know, there I am. How could I be bad? I'm eating oysters and shrimp, you know? I'm with my wife, and I'm with my brother and, and my sister. And he says, are you behaving? I don't know what he meant by that. I said, what else am I going to be, you know? A few weeks ago, a month ago, I don't know if you like, I love college basketball, just love it. And uh, when it starts getting close to March Madness, I get mad. I'm telling you, I just love it. Next to Arkansas, Duke is my team. I love Duke. And I follow them, you know, I just, man, anytime the Coach K's on, I'm, I'm there. A month or so ago, he got rid of one of his best players. Did you notice, did you, I don't know if you heard that. Uh, Suleiman, the guy. And the statement was, when they released him from the team at a critical point in their, in their season, he, he said, we have a standard here at Duke. There's a, there's a, there's a level to which we expect. If they're going to have the, the privilege of playing for Duke, something like that, there's a level to which they have to live. And the guy didn't meet it. He was dismissed. What if you were to apply that standard to your pastors? Hmm? What if we were to apply those standards to our church? wonder what kind of pastors we would have. And I wonder what kind of church we would have, you see. I think we ought to have those kind of standards, frankly. And so what I want you to get from this is this. The sin of one is the sin of all. Don't forget. Don't forget in this text. 3,000 went out strong. All came home saving 36. 36 men, husbands, daddies, maybe granddaddies, died 
And they died not because of their own sin. They died because of Achan's sin. But God said it was the national sin. And they lost their lives. Now, I don't know about Achan's family. I'm sure there were, there were some involvement there. But hey, there may have been a two-year-old kid. And what happened to him? He died, you see. You remember growing up, being tempted to do through things? I, you know, I, some things I did and wasn't proud of things I did. I didn't do. And the reason I didn't is because I didn't want my mama to find out. You know, my daddy beat the snot out of me, but I, it was mama that mainly, you know, see, the sin of one. I didn't want to bring disrepute on the name of Williams. And oh, dear people, we can't bring disrepute on the name of Jesus. And God's people, God's people need to be aware of this principle because, number one, it's scary but it's also very crucially important to the life of the church, okay? Number three kind of builds on that. If you look at verse one, the sin of God's people brings the anger of God, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. By the way, we'll deal with the ban next week. For Achan, the son of Carmi, goes through that list four generations, took some of the things, therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. The word burn means to, 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 to blaze up or to, to flare up. Now, let's be careful. God doesn't live in emotions like we do. So when we talk about the anger of Tom, it could be very damaging. The anger of God's different. He doesn't live in those emotions. And I want to tell you, gang, very clear here, and when you read Scripture, very clear, that when God's people sin. God is angry with the sinner. In fact, in Exodus chapter 22, when he was giving out the laws and how the people were to act, he says this. Uh, he says, if you don't do right, my anger, and that's the same word, my anger will be kindled against you. It's, it's translated sometimes, my anger will wax hot against you. I'll kill you with the sword. And there's other things he says in that. Do you get the idea that God hates Sin? See? No, but for grace, I understand. We'll talk about it. But gang, listen to me. God hates sin. That means he hates your sin. That means he hates my sin. That means he hates our sin. And I studied that out. I thought about my church. I thought about my family. I said, oh, dear God, you know. Do we not understand, do our members not understand how important corporate holiness and corporate righteousness really is? You see, Maybe the reason some churches are just falling apart is because there's not a holiness in the midst where the pastors are challenging and the people are continually repenting of those things that dishonor God. Let me add something even... Now, I said it's even scarier. I don't know if it's scarier, but the secret sin of Achan led to public exposure. He thought he'd never get caught. He didn't think anybody would ever know. But I want to tell you, not only did the nation know, everybody in Christendom knows because God's word is true. You see. All right, where was that number three? Yeah, number four, okay? This, this is pretty important. Um, look at verse 20 and 21. Okay, the fourth thing I, I want to give to you is this. 
What the eyes see can infect what the heart desires. Verse 20, Achan answered, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle of Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Now listen, gang, what Achan did is just human. It can happen. It does happen to all of us if we're not careful. It began in, <coughs> excuse me, it began in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that Adam and Eve saw, coveted, took, hid, and suffered. What happened then happened here. And in 1 John 2, do we have those words to put up there? Did we put? Yeah, we go. Notice, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, notice the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. You remember when we were little kids? We used to sing that song. Be careful. I should probably get chairs up here saying, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. The Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Now, gang, listen. Let me, in fact, next week, we're going to talk about this ban idea, the, the, the curse thing. But I want to show you something. If you look quickly in chapter 6, verse 18. God gave them a prohibition, okay? God, God said that, that everything is, all the spoils were to be under the band. And if you look at verse 18, lest you covet them. Now, the, why did he do that? He said every, this was their first big battle. This was their first great victory. You follow? Man, they'd never seen anything like this. Well, all of a sudden, they went from wandering in the desert to a mighty force, a great victory in the life of the, the first one. And God knew, because it, it did happen, boy, they could get boastful, they could get prideful. So he said, everything, every bit of the spoil belongs to me. It's devoted to me. Get rid of it all. And the reason he said that is that lest you covet them. And Achan coveted them, and the nation paid for it. Be careful, little eyes. Be careful, little heart, what you want. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful. Be careful. And then one last thing, and this is, we're going to look at chapter 8 for a moment. This is, this is, this is where I, I want to end, because I want to end not on judgment. I want to end on grace, okay? All right, fifth statement is this. Consecration leads to conviction. Conviction leads to confession. Confession leads to cleansing. 
which leads to celebration. Gang, that's why grace is the final word for Christians. In verse 13 of chapter 7, God says to Joshua, consecrate the people. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, find out the sin. Root it out. Scrape it out. Dig it out. Clean it up. And we talked about that cleansing. As tough as it was, it was necessary. Okay? But now, let's end on something positive. Look at chapter 8. Okay? When they got... Well, in fact, chapter 7... Verse 26, the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Do you see that? Now, listen, gang, that's in chapter 7, verse 26. That's called grace, okay? Now, chapter 8, verse 1, what does he say? Don't fear or be dismayed. Take how many of the people? All of the people. I think that's pretty significant. I have given it. Same kind of verbal phrase that was used previously. It's a done deal. I have given it. Then if you continue reading in chapter 8, what you find is that God lays out a very detailed plan for the people. So it moves back from a military campaign that failed to a spiritual campaign that wins. But then in verse 2, notice, I love this. Verse 2, God says, take the spoil and the cattle as plunder for what? For yourselves. Now, before, he says, it's mine. Devote it to me. Destroy it. Because if you don't, you'll covet it. You'll lust after it. But now after the sin and after the repentance and after the confession and after the cleansing, God said, don't be afraid. Take all of them, Joshua. Don't be dismayed. Go and take it. I've given it to you. And by the way, Joshua, enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's yours. I don't need it. Take the spoils, Joshua, and enjoy Let me close with a couple statements. When God's people do it God's way, when God's people do it God's way, there's joy in the camp. And the blessings of God are manifold. And the glory of God is manifested among the people and to all the nations. You know what was amazing to me as I've studied through all of this whole passage of Joshua and all of that. Man, the the people in Jericho's heart melted years before. Man, they knew. They heard the stories of the exodus. They knew they were doomed, man. They knew they were in trouble. And and, and their heart had had melted. The whole world knew. And I want you to know that when God's people or when God's church When Indian Springs Baptist Church in a little dot in Arkansas, in the United States of America, when God's people do it right, the manifold blessings of God are evident, and the glory of God is manifested among the people and among 
the nations. I, uh, I want to keep in front of you Pastor John Morgan, who came a month or so ago. He calls me every week. I call him every week. He's crazy, you know, but we talk. But I talked to him the other day and uh, just told him that, you know, we were a quarter of the way there out of debt and, and God was, you know, blessing and things were cool. And he told me to tell you how he does that every week when he calls. And uh, he said, you're not going to believe where I'm at. And he, I said, where? He said, well, I just left Little Rock. That's my first thought. Why didn't you call, dude? And he said, I spoke to a, a, a Friday night banquet at Heber Springs. And, uh, and, and I thought, well, how cool is that? And he said, hey, I mentioned to the people up there, the pastor and one guy on staff up there, he said, I mentioned you. And then he said, oh, listen, we know. We know about Indian Springs. And I thought, you know, if God's people does it right, God's blessings are manifold. God's glory is manifested everywhere. God loves to get glory, you see. Let me give you that last thought once again, and I'm through. For the people of God, judgment is not the whole story. Grace is the final chapter. Next week we'll talk a little bit about that. You just remember, all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And in every sin, there's a grace of God. But if you persist in it, there's pain. If you repent of it, there's release and forgiveness. I'm so glad, aren't you, that God is a God of forgiveness? Huh? And all you got to do is look in the mirror and say, boy, but for grace. Well, we want to pray. Let's pray. And uh, Barbara's going to come for a moment. Don and I will be here to help if you need us to. Father, I love the chapter, although I have to tell you, it made me a little uncomfortable. I, uh, I look forward to sharing it, although, Lord, I know the tender nature of it. But yet, Lord, I know that at the end of it, the grace of Almighty God always shines through. Now, maybe today, there are those who have wrestled and struggled with their life, life decisions, perhaps, where they're at. Maybe the, the, the pressure of, of uh, the conviction of sin is, is very real in their life. And that's not a bad thing. Help them to know that's a good thing. That means they're loved and they're redeemed and they're part of God's family. They're convicted. They should be that way. But God, I pray also that from the text we'll know that in conviction it drives us to confession. And after confession, there can be forgiveness and there, there will be forgiveness and there can be celebration. And that's what happened to the nation. That's what happened. Father, I, I love you. I praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for just a moment. <laughs>